0: pandemic has been one of the most politically and culturally divisive events in American history. Adding to our woes, the proper approach to scientific inquiry and policymakers' relationship with the expert class became badly skewed. Once an orthodoxy was declared by the World Health Organization or the Center for Disease Control, government leaders, the mainstream media, and big tech circled the wagons to prevent dissenting views from being aired and even sought to punish those with differing opinions. This included attacking the Great Barrington Declaration, authored by notable epidemiologists that challenged the efficacy of societal shutdowns and keeping children out of school. Now with the COVID emergency at an end, two of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration and other notables in medicine have organized the Norfolk Group, calling for a national commission To investigate the country's response to COVID. One of these experts is my guest on this episode of Humanize. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is a professor of health policy at Stanford University and a research associate at the National Bureau of Economics Research. He holds an MD and PhD in economics, both earned at Stanford University, where he directs Stanford's Center for Demography and Economics of Health and Aging. Dr. Bhattacharya's recent research focuses on the epidemiology of COVID 19, as well as an evaluation of policy responses to the epidemic. In December 2022, Bhattacharya was appointed by Florida Governor and now presidential candidate Ron DeSantis to the Public Health Integrity Committee, charged with assessing federal decisions, recommendations, and guidance related to public health and health care. Jay, welcome back to Humanize.
1: Thank you for having me on, Wesley. Always a pleasure.
0: You know, before the publication of the Great Barrington Declaration, you were certainly well known within your profession, but not, I think, among the general public. But you're now a notable public figure. How has that impacted your life and work? <laughs> I keep
1: waiting for the uh, for you know for midnight to strike and the the pumpkin to you know the, the cherry to turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> I, I mean, I and actually be, I would welcome that. It, it is it's been quite stressful. Um, and uh, my, uh, the, the kinds of things I worked on before, I've, I've managed to work on a little bit of, of it. Like I've had a couple of publications on population aging, um, but mostly most all my work during the pandemic has been on the pandemic. Um, and I don't see that ending anytime soon.
0: No, I don't think so, particularly since uh, there's now some hit pieces uh, coming out on you and even a book that criticizes you, which I haven't read, so we can't get into it. And But the title is really ridiculous. We Want Them Infected. <laughs> you want people infected jay
1: <laughs> for the record let me just say wesley i i want nobody infected if it's possible <laughs> the problem is look, we, we faced a virus that we don't have a technology to protect people from being infected for for a very long time what, what we have is uh, you know tools that we might and resources we might might have used to protect people that were vulnerable but the idea that we could p- keep people not infected forever that we could somehow eradicate this virus It's a pipe dream. It was never possible, Uh, certainly not as of March of 2020 when we imposed the lockdowns. It was already far too late. The virus had been in country for too long. Um,
0: Excuse me for interrupting, but I remember back then where people – you know, who were part of the government response said that the whole idea of lockdowns wasn't to prevent people from getting infected, but to slow the process so that hospitals wouldn't become overwhelmed. It was, as I recall, two weeks to uh, to flatten the curve or something like that. So, and I also remember people saying, well, eventually everyone, almost everyone's going to catch COVID. And so the whole point was not to prevent people from getting the disease, but to make it so that when people got the disease, the health sector could manage it. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, that was the, that was the stated rationale for the lockdowns. But I think it induced a kind of panic. Um, and you know, I, the 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 people uh, that were responsible and in charge for the lockdowns, people like Andrew Cuomo, uh, even uh, President Trump, and others, um, I mean, they viewed. At least some of them viewed the lockdowns as a success, right? You remember Andrew Cuomo won an Emmy for his management of the pandemic early in the pa- early on, uh, and you know they crushed the curve. Uh, the, the The goal was, as you said, Wesley, to to protect hospital systems. But even that was a weird goal in the sense that uh, so for like take New York. Uh, Let's we'll keep picking on Andrew Cuomo. He uh, the, he had available to him. The, uh, the Mercy ship he had available to him, the Javits Center, which had been converted into a sort of makeshift hospital. Neither of those resources were used at yeah. all. Yep. Um and if you look at the, there was a, there's an HHS protect database that was uh, tracked uh, hospital systems through much of 2020 and 2021 uh, into 2021 to look to see whether there was, a, you know, wh- where places were being overwhelmed. I mean, I was tracking it pretty closely through the pandemic. I saw a few places where systems were pushed to the limit. Um, like I think New Mexico I saw was pushed to the limit at what one point. Uh, there You know, I think uh, Arizona, I saw some. Um there's there were places that were pushed pretty close to the limit uh, through the pandemic. but for the vast majority of places and times through the pandemic, hospital systems were actually relatively empty. People are scared to go to the hospital yeah you're, and, you're
0: talking about not for covid but for other maladies, a heart uh, pain or perhaps cancer screenings and that kind of thing is that right yeah,
1: absolutely. And we're seeing I think the 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 consequences of that now where you're seeing, you know, enormous increases in all cause excess deaths in the United States, in part due to those, due to those policies. Like we had lockdowns that uh, that 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 led people to not go into get treatment for heart attacks. Uh, they skipped cancer screens. Now we're seeing late stage cancers. Um, we're seeing a, you know t- a tremendous increase in suicidality, in drug use, a whole bunch of other. Uh, completely predictable outcomes when you essentially create a, create panic in the population and tell people that everyone else is biohazard. So they stay away from each other and act, uh, you know, so it's, it's one of these things where like it was, it was, it was predictable at the time that it was going to happen. And now we're paying the consequences of it with worse health for, for the American population.
0: You started uh, raising some questions, as I recall, uh, in the spring of 2020 and then in October of 2020 you participated in the creation of what's known as the Great Barrington Declaration uh, with a uh, Harvard a doctor and an Oxford doctor as I recall and your point was that per, and correct me if i'm wrong but that the the official approach to covid was myopic that is it was so focused on covid that other factors that could also harm society were being ignored, such as shutting children out of school and the consequences of that. What we've already talked about: missing health screenings or not going to the doctor when you're sick. Um, was that the purpose of the Great Barrington Declaration to try to expand uh, the the uh, the look uh, the view of the COVID so that the entire social aspect would be considered rather than just the narrow COVID aspect?
1: Uh, so that was that was one of the two major goals of it. Uh, the other was focused protection of vulnerable people from COVID, vulnerable, mainly elderly people who have a high risk of, of dying if they were to get COVID. Those were the two goals was re- restoration of the idea of health as a, as a very broad thing, not simply avoidance of a single infectious disease. Uh, you know, because so, the World Health Organization famously has has this definition of health, which includes uh, not just physical health, but social social health, emotional health, uh, a, a very, very, you know, a very broad notion of what health is. It's not simply just one disease, uh, you know, not, not getting one disease. And then the other side of it was this disease in October, 2020, you know, what the evidence was that it was actually quite deadly to older people. Right. And we wanted to induce a conversation in the public health community about how better to protect older people. Right. We wrote this, this, um, we wrote this little document. This it's a one-page document, the Great Barrington Declaration, because we were dismayed at how uh, at the, the neglect of protection of elderly people in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, in New York, again, let's keep, keep picking on Andrew Cuomo. They sent co- COVID-infected patients back to nursing homes, spreading the disease among a very vulnerable group. Why did they do that? I mean, the reason is very—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's simple when you think about it. If the goal is to protect hospital systems, you do that because you empty the hospital systems of, 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 of patients that, that uh, you think could be taken care of outside. If the goal is to protect vulnerable people, you never do that. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, to, it was the goal of the Great Barrington Declaration was to reorient public health toward protection of human life, especially older people who are r- at risk from COVID. Hence, the call for focused protection. And then... Uh, the, the uh, re- reorientation of public health toward a, mo- a broad notion of health so that, for instance, lifting lockdown uh, lift, uh, and opening schools so that we didn't harm the health and well-being of young people.
0: Who um, are not at significant risk of serious disease. Exactly.
1: I mean, at the very least, you should acknowledge that there, that there are trade-offs there, right? So, for instance, right. one... Um, one estimate from the the editor of JAMA Pediatrics in a paper that he published in, in JAMA, uh, Journal of American Medical Association in in, in, the tw- in 2020, was that the spring closures of schools resulted in five and a half million life years lost to American school children. Now, wh- how would that work? Well, the way it works is, you know, there's a social science literature that predates the pandemic that finds that if you have kids skip school for even short periods of time, they will, lead, uh, they will lead. They will lead. They will be lead poorer lives and shorter lives and less healthy lives
0: because Simply. they will not have received a quality education, and there will be consequences from that.
1: Exactly, that's exactly it. And so, I mean, that's what we did to our children. Like we now have seeing tremendous learning loss. A decade of of learning gains to the extent they were there are gone disappeared overnight. Uh, and it's not equally distributed. It's it's poor kids, it's minority kids who have suffered the most from this. We've created a, a generational divide that it was already bad before, but we've created this 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 inequality that'll will be launched into the next generation, like accelerated in the next generation in 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 American um, American outcomes as a consequence of these these tremendously short-sighted decisions we made during the pandemic.
0: Now what's really fascinating to me is the Great Barrington Declaration was not a you know, 50-page policy recommendation. It was a one-page call for let's talk about these things. And, and isn't the scientific method about that where there's a conventional approach? Here comes the Great Barrington Declaration with some hetero, heterodox ideas, and science says, well, come, let's work and reason together. Let's debate it out. Let's hash it out. But that's not what happened.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, it's a one-page document. Uh, If you read it, it's written for the general public. It's not written for just scientists. We wrote it in in the simple language as we could. Uh, And the reason we did that is because we wanted to tell the public that there was this dissension among scientists that, you know, like at the time, if you you, uh, put yourself back in October 2020, um, the idea at large in the public was that there was one reasonable scientific view. Uh, that that most scientists the vast majority of scientists agreed with there was consensus and that that consensus favored lockdowns like that what we did in spring 2020 was right uh and that in fact we, we're going to need to do it again if, if the disease starts spreading And it was really clear to me from the data that the disease was going to start spreading uh, you know it was october it was, it was this looked like a disease that had some predilection to, to you know winter and uh, winter was coming so uh, when we wrote the thing, we we wanted to tell the public that there wasn't a consensus. In fact, a very substantial number of prominent scientists, reasonable scientists looking at the data, disagreed with the lockdown strategy. That there was an, was no consensus. And what we were met with, Wesley, was an absolute shocking to me. Anyway, still uh, a propaganda attack by the most uh the the, the the most prominent scientists uh, and most sci- prominent scientific bureaucrats in the united states and elsewhere so for instance francis collins the head of the national institute of health wrote an email to tony fauci which we have learned about via foia four days after we wrote the declaration october FOIA 8, is the
0: freedom of information act
1: yeah exactly yeah. um and that in that email uh, he told Tony Fauci that the three of us, me, Martin Kulldorff of Harvard University and Sunetra Gupta of Oxford University, all full professors, all you know, uh, decades of experience in public health and in epidemiology and in, in policy and statistics and you know, you know, a whole bunch of relevant disciplines, uh, the three of us were fringe epidemiologists. It was an ad hominem attack, a direct ad hominem attack on us. And then he called for a devastating takedown of the premises of the declaration.
0: Devastating takedown, by the way, is a quote.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a direct quote from the email. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not putting words in his mouth, uh, or his. You know, his, I guess his fingers. Um, he he, uh, he he. Then uh, then th- then. What I saw was, you know, I, what I experienced in October of 2020 was, hit piece after hit piece after hit piece. Uh, the, Tony Fauci emailed in response to that email uh, from Francis Collins. He emailed Francis Collins back a Wired magazine article. As essentially call saying that we wanted to, to let the virus rip when in fact that was the farthest from my mind what i wanted was to do is better protect vulnerable older people i wanted to, to better protect the health of, of young people who are being harmed by the lockdowns i didn't want to let the virus rip normal activity sometimes results in people getting this virus and other in, in other viruses the issue is whether the the res, the. The ending of those normal activities hurts health in other ways that that uh, that that make it not wise to end those normal activities. School ending schooling, closing schools is a perfect example of this. Closing schools hurt our children, the health of our children, and will will continue to co- cause a hurt that will last for 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 their entire lives. Um, that's what the social science literature said before the pandemic regarding the health consequences of schooling why that's why schooling is such an important investment as a society we make uh, on, and w- i knew that other people other other people in the scientific community knew that um, and yet the idea that we should end school was that was good for the health that was not what that was not true
0: um, yeah, and the idea that you could actually have as good a schooling experience on a computer as interacting in a classroom you know was pushed quite a bit too and 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 that seems to me uh Abundantly untrue.
1: Yeah, and this was particularly for
0: poor people, as you said.
1: And you know, this this was an international document. I mean, I was getting messages from colleagues all around the world telling me about the harms of lockdowns in their in their countries. In Uganda, this is a heartbreaking statistic, but four four and a half million kids never came back to school. The World Health Organization essentially recommended something like lockdowns. I mean, you read this February 2020 report that they had on, on COVID, and they were recommending the world essentially follow China into lockdowns, closing schools even. Um, the, the, and as a result, four and a half million Ugandan children t- spent two years out of school, not even Zoom school for many of them, and, and they never came back. And there was a UN report that suggest- found out why. It turns out that many of those kids were sold into, especially the girls, were sold into sexual slavery. Because their parents were at put into a position where either their children starved because they were out of work thanks to the lockdowns, or they they put their kids to work in this in this you know, just unimaginable way. I mean, it's the lockdown strategies that did that. At the same time, you know, we I, the, we didn't protect old people very well. We didn't protect nursing homes very well. We were calling for a conversation. That's why it was such a short document, Wesley. We were calling yeah. for uh, uh, people in the public health community to think more creatively about how to protect older people. We gave like a uh, like a score of suggestions in the in the document and the and the related materials and I gave a lot of interviews at the time. But what I I mean how can three people have a plan for literally the entire world? What's needed was was local public health to engage creatively to cause they know how that older people live in their community better than I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't, I, I only live in one place. Um, and so I think, um, and, 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 and I, what, what should have happened was that, you know, like in, in, in West LA or in, in Boise, Idaho or in, or in, um, Paris, France, different people in local public health could have said, okay, here's how our older people live here. Here's the resources we have. Let's reorient our, our efforts so that we, we provide resources uh, to help older people, uh, you know, uh, avoid the virus as best they can when there's a ma- major wave. Like I, I'll give you some examples of things I said. So um, uh, we get, we organize DoorDash to deliver it to laptop class young people. Uh, why not organize door We spent six trillion dollars. Why not instead subsidize uh, home delivery of food to to older people living in the community when the disease is spreading? Um, we we could we we used hotel rooms to house uh, again relatively young, relatively low risk homeless people during the pandemic. Um, we had all these like office buildings essentially completely empty. Why not organize public health to offer a place to stay to, to older people living in, in a multi-generational home with uh, what, what, so when like Johnny comes and calls grandma, says grandma, I, I might've been exposed to some, to someone with COVID, grandma calls local public health, says, can I, can I get a place to stay for a couple of days? And those hotel rooms are used to, to house, um, you know, to, to help protect grandma from, uh, from the potential spread at home from, from Johnny. Right. that that would that was the basic idea of uh, is is use the resources we already used reorient them toward the protection of vulnerable older people
0: um, uh, and let me let me interrupt you real quick are you saying that some of the things that were done the DoorDash thing and the other things that were actually targeting the wrong cadre of potential uh, covid patients that they went for the younger or the homeless or working people or laptop class instead of organizing those resources for the elderly and perhaps a caregiver uh, to to stay with grandma is that what you're saying
1: that's exactly what i'm saying i mean i, I the, the the way i think about it is that the lockdowns effectively were were a focused protection of the laptop class it was it was it was so if you look at the data it's really clear it's like the poorest neighborhoods which included a lot of elderly people the, there was a lot of mobility uh because people had to go to work to feed their families right um, the disease th- there was no protection of older people in the workforce um, we called for uh for you know for instance sabbatical or or, or some kind of like uh, uh, some kind of uh, pay so that older workers didn't have to work dur- uh, during the during times of severe disease spread um, instead what we did is we t- paid businesses to stay closed if they could except for the big box, you know businesses. Um, we we uh, there was a the this is the biggest transfer of wealth in in, in peacetime history. In the single single biggest transfer of health in peacetime, four trillions dollars. I think I saw went from essentially uh, the poor and lower middle class people to to uh, to to the very very richest people. Um,
0: so so this is why uh, getting to the purpose of this interview the the uh, the, the Norfolk Group. Um, now the, the COVID emergency has been canceled. I mean, the emergency declaration has been canceled. Obviously, COVID is still around, but it's no longer a pandemic emergency. And what you and uh, your colleagues at the Norfolk Group are saying, well, this was such a difficult thing. Many mistakes were made. Um we want an investigation, a dispassionate one. You're not you're not wanting to do a, let's go attack Fauci or let's go get the uh, the Trump uh, policy or let's go get Cuomo. You're trying to as I read the Norfolk uh, literature, you want to have a dispassionate, in depth investigation, something like the 9/11 Commission. I think you used as an analogy to find out what went right, what went wrong, and what to do next time. Is that correct? That's
1: exactly what I want. Um, And the the reason I want that, uh, Wesley, is because right now as things stand, if we have another pandemic, we will lock down again. We will lock down unthinkingly. We will panic monger. We will follow very, very similar strategies because many of the people that advise this, for whatever reason, um, I mean, they don't, they don't want these questions. They don't want to ask ask or answer these questions because if they if they they're they're afraid that they might look bad if the answer comes out the wrong way. I don't. I I personally think that uh, that we have to, in some sense, in one way, lower the stakes of this. Yes. Right. So so for instance, um, after some a patient dies, you'll have a, a conference called a morbidity and mortality conference where the doctors and others involved in the con- in the patient management we'll have a very frank discussion about what mistakes were made. The goal isn't to like blame any of the doctors involved, but to think about what went wrong so that you don't make the same mistakes next time. So this, after, is,
0: this is an ordinary part of hospital uh, procedure. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Bread and butter. It's, it's the way that uh, doctors hold each other accountable so that the improvements can happen. Um, another, another example of this is after a plane crash, the NTSB uh, does an investigation. You know, like Remember with the black box, uh, they, they analyze what happened during the plane crash. Again, the goal isn't to blame anybody, not really. The goal is to figure out what went wrong systematically and how you reform the system so that things can be better next time. I mean, I think that's the spirit that I really want this. I don't really fundamentally care about the reputations of the people that made the decisions. I, I mean, I wish that they had made better decisions, but that's not uh, that's not the real thing. The real thing is we have to learn why we made uh, decisions that went so badly wrong, right? We, we, we have among the, the United States, we had among the worst outcomes for COVID in the entire world. And we also had all these damaging, damaging lockdowns that were the, uh, and the health consequences of that. Why did that happen? What uh, that's the, the and what can we do to do better? That's the main goal of the Dorfok document. Yeah, and it's and it's like eighty pages of questions, uh, very specific questions about decisions that could have, that 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 were made. Could we have done better? What 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 led to those decisions? It's it's not answers to those questions. I really want experts who are involved in the decision, experts who were outside, to come together in a dispassionate way and and answer those questions.
0: Isn't that part of the scientific method?
1: It is. Um, I mean, so the scientific method is is uh, it always involves questioning. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's it, 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 Am I thinking about this the right way? What experiment can I run to test it? What do other people do? They interpret this 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 experiment differently. It absolutely is, but it also is part of good government, Wesley. Like it's part of yes. what we do when 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 we have a uh, a such a traumatic thing where the government that makes such such difficult decisions, we go and reevaluate. Um, you remember the Challenger disaster in 1986? I think it was where the space shuttle blew up. Yep. And there was that very famous moment where Richard Feynman, um, the famous physicist, took the uh, took this plastic, like this O ring, um, dipped it in, in. I think it was in front of Congress. Right? He put dipped it in a in a in a, in a, in a uh, ice water uh, glass. You know, I- glass with ice water, and then shattered the O ring. And demonstrating to the world that that O-ring was probably responsible for the, the the explosion of the of the Challenger,
0: which which they didn't know before. Obviously, sending it up into space that that would happen. So so this commission, um, how are you envisioning it? It, it? I I can't imagine Congress doing it because you know popping jays and five minutes and then uh, you know pontificating and and so forth. How how do you how how do you and your colleagues? how would you like to see this thing be organized?
1: So I, I, you know, I've actually now testified in Congress several times, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I have really, too. So, yeah, <laughs> you, you don't really have a ton of time to like get your, get, uh, get into depth.
0: And, um, and your, your, your opinion is not really what they're after. They want to be able to spout.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I, so, you know, actually the, the, the author of the nine eleven nine um, uh, he actually wrote, a a a, something like that like i think it's called the covid the 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 covid policy disaster i forget the name of the book um phil Phil zellico organized uh, a commission like this the problem is that it was a it was a whitewash wesley If, if it's it's unlike the 9 11 commission report the commission um this report written by phil zellico and his colleagues essentially just it uh wrote the Whig version of history, if you will, right. They went and talked with some of the people who were advising um, who were very, very pro lockdown, advising um, advising you know people like Andrew Cuomo and others. Um, and um, you know they're they they're, and, and if you read it, it reads like a political document. they, they call up uh, Trump a comorbidity. Uh, I mean it's 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 ra- it's it's very one-sided. Um, I actually was interviewed for this, uh, this this report, uh, and I'll try to find the name of the report. I'm, I'm, I'm just, it's blanking right now. But like the, but I was interviewing this report very early on, and it's notable that there's basically almost no mention whatsoever of the Great Barrington Declaration or the existence of outside scientists that disagreed with the strategy that was followed. Right? It was so. It's it's what we've had is a, is is essentially in Congress. Uh, I mean it's it's I'm, I mean I, I I'm glad they're finally asking this, these questions but it's when you go out in front of Congress what happens is you have the Democrats mostly there's with some exceptions on one side essentially wanting to say we did we the lockdowns were necessary we just didn't lock down hard enough and they don't there's no evidence will seems to persuade them in fact what they do is they slander people experts like me who come out in front of them you know accusing me of wanting to let the virus rip um, on the other hand the Republicans I mean it's it's funny because like i think there's some some many republicans who want an honest commission or an honest question answered but there's also like you know there was there were a lot of mistakes made even even by um uh, uh, even by uh, uh folks who were a little skeptical about lockdowns you know like uh, about you know what support should there have been for early treatment um uh evaluation of early treatment there was a lot of like uh, there were a lot of mistakes made by basically everybody and yeah so because
0: th- it was an it was an unprecedented at least in our time uh catastrophe nothing since the polio epidemic or the spanish flu wouldn't that be a, an accurate statement
1: I mean maybe hiv you could put you could throw in there but yeah but I mean, hiv
0: it, wasn't generally uh affecting the general population it was mostly affecting particular aspects of the population
1: yeah no i think i think in terms of like something that that essentially hit every single uh, part of society. I don't think it's 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 actually hard to come up with something before maybe the 1918 flu. Um, yeah,
0: the Spanish flu. It, it, but that also brings up a question I was going to ask you a little later, but let's do it now. And then I want to get into the questions that the Norfolk group would like to, to explore. The Spanish flu, the people who were mostly affected were the young, and the elderly generally had a less severe course. In COVID, it was just the opposite. So, you don't know what the next pandemic will be like, so how do you prepare a response for a pandemic when you don't know who the uh, primarily uh, endangered people will be, how it will be transmitted, and so forth?
1: So I think I think if I were managing a pandemic and I had that uncertainty, the very first thing I would do is I would, I would uh, seek out data and evidence to see who was at highest risk. Because you cannot manage any pandemic without that information now it's going to be noisy at first um, but we knew in january 20 at least i knew in january 2020 it was really clear from the chinese data and from the diamond princess cruise data that it was older people that were at high risk and then in, when the disease hit italy and you saw it was all these these patients and um, dying, it was, it was older people that was dying. It was so clear from the data that younger people were at very, very low risk. Early on, you knew this. Uh, and uh, and uh, while older people at very, very high risk. Um, it's, so at the same time, so you, that, that's what I would do is I would seek to find data. And if I didn't, if I couldn't find the data, I would, I would uh, commission a, a rapid study to find who the highest risk people are. Because that's what you need to to design the right kind of response Was the, that done be,
0: in, in this particular in the covid
1: no I mean that's the problem well it was clear that, that the that the high risk was older and your low risk was younger the problem is the lockdowns essentially ignored that the the premise of the lockdowns with everybody essentially was at equal risk uh, in in different ways the idea was the lockdowns would would somehow you, you stop young people from circulating interacting with each other, just having normal young people lives that would protect older people essentially by osmosis because mm-hmm. the disease would stop circulating. Um, I mean, essentially said young people are, are, are are vectors of disease. I mean, I there was actually a, a Biden administration official uh, Andy Slavitt actually wrote something like that about children in, on Twitter, calling them vectors like mosquitoes um, for COVID. So, so you had this like, you had this like, response which um i mean i guess in one sense it recognized the the, the dis- distinct role of uh, risk played but it it sought essentially to protect everybody from th- from the disease rather than acknowledging f- forthrightly what the what the risk factors actually were for this disease older people were very obviously at highest risk why not directly work to protect them
0: all right. That's the first question that I was going to ask you. So you've already answered that. The next one in the Norfolk group was uh, this one. Why was there widespread questioning of infection acquired immunity by government officials and some prominent scientists? How did this hinder our fight against the virus? And my my uh, thought is that's also known as natural immunity, Correct.
1: Yeah, that's colloquially known as a natural immunity. I mean, yeah, I, I so, see, people could get persnickety about this. It's. I mean, some people say, I say recovered immunity to avoid getting avoid, weirdly criticized. So, so
0: I've always been taught that if you get the flu, then you're probably not going to get it again because you've your body has created antibodies I'm speaking very as a lawyer and not a doctor that helps fight if uh, if you get uh, the the flu virus uh, enters your body again your body's already motivated uh, to fight that infection and that's in fact what the the uh, flu vaccine does is it puts in dead uh, virus so that your body will create that reaction is that right
1: yeah, so the flu is a funny thing because, like, from season to season, it 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 basically reclosed itself, yeah. so that it you can get the flu a second time the next season
0: because it's, it's mutated.
1: Yeah, uh, the different version of it floats around. I mean, there's you know natural selection issues going on. So like the uh, the the everyone's immune to to, to the sea, to flu from the previous season because either they got it or they had the flu shot um, or 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 uh, usually both, um, uh, often both so 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 you uh but the next season you're not immune to the version that was floating around last season right, right? that the flu is actually pretty good at, at that kind of evasion um but on the other hand it's likely that the if you have had the flu before or if you had the vaccine you're going to have some protect some cross protection in the form of your vi- you know the virus isn't going to produce a very very severe outcome the next time you you see the flu it's 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 funny the flu the flu is a very it's a little it's a different virus than COVID so the, the kind of immunity you get is is going to be a little bit different like different um, the immune reactions in our body include antibodies as you said uh, which often what their purpose is they have multiple purposes one of the purposes is is to is to protect so that you that if the if you're exposed to the virus let's say in your nose it it just neutralizes before it, it infects anything but there are other parts of your immune system that T cells and B cells. What they float around is they remember that you've seen a virus or a pathogen, and then they organize a response to it so that the virus or pathogen doesn't kill you. It doesn't land you in the hospital. You, you may get a, you get you will get a cold, but you won't get you won't die from it, right? Um,
0: and there's there's a there's a natural uh, immunity response to the COVID virus as well. And there yeah. was a, as I recall a controversy where some people were saying after the vaccine came out. Well, wait a second, I've just had COVID. I don't think I need the vaccine. Now, whether they're right or wrong is not the point as far as I'm concerned in terms of of what we're discussing. The point was that that wasn't even allowed to be discussed. And now what seems to me is the time to discuss it in this kind of uh, investigation that you're uh, looking at. Is that right?
1: I think that is absolutely right. So let me give you my uh, my, the, the timeline of that that I saw uh, from a personal, from, from, so just from my personal observations through the through the course of the pandemic, and I would love to be in, corrected or in conversation with other scientists who maybe had other 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 points of view. But what, here's what I saw: very early in the pandemic, if you said that co- you could be protected from, uh, you have some immunity after COVID recovery if you have natural immunity, th- you essentially could be th- th- accused of misinformation, spreading misinformation. Right, So for instance, uh, I did a study early in the pandemic, the Santa Clara County seroprevalence study, where we measured antibody levels in the population at large in April of 2020. We found about three or 4% of Santa Clara County and one in LA County, 4% of LA County had already had COVID and recovered the antibodies. We were very careful in talking about it, not to say that meant you were immune, Mm -hmm. because immunologists had told me that we didn't know that at the time. Um, you could get in trouble if you're saying that. In fact, my wife wrote an email uh, to her colleagues, her friends in the middle school where my kids, what, uh, my my son went, um, essentially making that the say, saying that look uh, uh, that, that that if you have antibodies, you might be uh, you want you, you're you're likely immune. And BuzzFeed in, in April 2020 did a hit piece on her for that crime. So, um, so, so this
0: is this is the, one of the things that it would seem to me a commission would have to look into, not only what were the proper responses or improper responses, what worked and what didn't, but was the um, straitjacket on inquiry into one of the most serious catastrophes we've faced certainly in my lifetime this straitjacket that that would punish people or mock people or even cost people their jobs if they d- dared to stand outside the circle of acceptable opinion
1: absolutely that's certainly d- i mean what happened during the pandemic was essentially a, a subversion of the normal mechanisms of science, which, as you said earlier, Wesley, you're absolutely right, involve open discussion. Instead, it was it was this norm of public health where, like, if you say something wrong, you're going to mislead the public, and then that's going to cause them to do bad things. So therefore, we should police even scientific discussion about things that are said that are wrong, which means that science can't it's happen. It's
0: infantilizing the population.
1: It absolutely is.
0: So that th- and, and the vaccines, it seems to me, I, I know you'd want to get into the vaccines. I recall the vaccines came out and the first thing we were told is that they would prevent transmission of the disease, which they didn't know at the time, did they?
1: No, they did not know at the time. Um, j- just quickly, just on vaccines and natural immunity before we move on to move on to the transmission, because that's it's that's related, but it's important to know this background. Uh, the 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 vaccine manufacturers when they were asked to do randomized trials they recruited people when they when they you know when they organized the randomized trials they recruited people that had had COVID and recovered that had natural immunity in 2020. when they when they analyzed the data on safety of the vaccines and I remember remember the trial what they did is they give one group of placebo and one group of the vaccine randomly chosen when they analyzed the safety of the vaccines, they included people in both groups that had, had uh, COVID and recovered, that were that were that had natural immunity. When they measured the efficacy of the vaccines, they excluded the COVID recovered. And the reason, if I were trying to just design this trial in this Machiavellian way, is that if I included the COVID recovered, the marginal benefit of the vaccine in someone who's already relatively immune or somewhat immune because of covid recovery is going to be lower. And so I don't want that group mixed in with the people that might benefit from the vaccine the most, which is the people that have never seen covid.
0: Well, wait a minute. It sounds like a thumb is being put on the scale that they want to show the maximum possible benefit for everyone by taking the vaccine. And to do that, they took out the people who also had natural immunity because they would have less benefit than somebody who had not had COVID. Is that what you're saying?
1: That's what I'm saying. So if you read the published randomized studies from December 20, or November December 2020, I forget the exact date. I think it was December. Um, in the New England Journal of Medicine, I, I read all of them, including the supplemental appendices. They say this. They say they took out the people that were COVID recovered, that were enrolled in the trial from the efficacy analysis. They don't say Why? But, but I can, I mean, I'm allowed to speculate about why if I were advising them to show maximum efficacy, I would have advised them to remove those people from the analysis because the marginal benefit of COVID vaccines for people who are already uh, had COVID and recovered is lower, much lower than it is for people that had never had
0: COVID. That, that's pretty stunning to me because- that means that one of the most important, and this is an, a, a relatively new form of vaccine. It's not putting dead virus or or, or barely alive virus in. It's a RNA um, effector, correct?
1: Yeah. So, the, well, there's th- there's several technologies that were used, but uh, w- one of them was, and the most most prominent one in the U.S. was these mRNA uh, virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, ve- ve- uh, there's the mRNA vaccines that essentially induce the cells in your body to produce things that look like the virus, the proteins the virus makes to train your body to respond to it.
0: And to get the antibody reaction. But you're saying, it sounds to me like you're saying that they didn't, well, (laughs) the idea that you would take out people who are going to be a part of the public, whether or not to get the vaccine to make it seem like everybody needs the vaccine and meanwhile when people were saying wait a second i've got natural immunity because i just had covid i don't know why i need a vaccine well if you don't take that vaccine you're fired i mean it would have affected the mandates it would have affected which which were controversial anyway and full disclosure i wrote repeatedly in favor of vaccination but against mandates because i think people so need I. to be, make that decision for themselves yeah. and if and if somebody has had covid 3 weeks ago or a month or 6 weeks ago and that could affect their decision in in hopefully discussion with their doctor about whether or not they should receive the ma- the vaccine particularly for younger people who might have a, a more adverse reaction to the vaccine than people my age
1: uh, that's exactly, I think you characterize it exactly right. Like it would have been very, very useful in the discussion about policy to have that information. What is the marginal benefit to older people, uh, to, especially to older people who'd had COVID and recovered of being vaccinated? What's the marginal benefit to younger people who've already re- had COVID and recovered of being vaccinated? Um, that would have been very useful in that discussion. And, but we do not have randomized, ev- we did not, at least did not have randomized evidence at the time um, because the drug companies that ran those trials, did not report those results. They excluded those people from the analysis that was reported in December of 2020. Um, there's another piece, and this is related to what you just asked uh, a, a little earlier, about about transmission. Like, Do the vaccines stop disease transmission? That's another very important piece of information to know if you're deciding about vaccine mandates and recommendations and so on. Um, so at the time, December 2020, um, there were a whole bunch of very prominent entities that were saying things like, in order to get to herd immunity, you have to vaccinate basically 60, 70, 80% of the population. Uh, the World Health Organization, for instance, in response to the, to the Great Barrier Declaration, changed its definition of herd immunity to exclude immunity after COVID, after recover, COVID recovery, to say only vaccination produces uh, immunity. This was before the vaccine trials were reported before there was the vaccines available at all. This was like in October of 2020, they did this.
0: Well, gee, um, I wonder why people have lost faith in the public health institutions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's, this is why we need an honest commission, right? The only way you get trust back is by do, doing, having a, having, asking these questions, answering them honestly, and, and just essentially saying, you know, mea culpa about how to so and, and way and reform. So we don't have this problem again. This um,
0: redefinition issue, I mean, I run into that in, in some of the other work I do, where uh, you know you have a definition, and you get into a debate, and it's not working for the side that has the power, so they just redefine things to make it easier for themselves. So you're basically saying that the World Health Organization, I want to make sure this is really clear, because I was not aware of this, that even before the vaccines came out, but they were anticipated coming out, they redefined... Herd immunity to only include that which was produced by the vaccines, and excluded that which might be produced by somebody having COVID and their body uh, now having the ability to resist the disease. Is that correct?
1: That's exactly correct. I I can. There's there's um, (laughs) stories written about it at the time uh, around because I think I think they were responding to the Great Barrington Declaration,
0: right? One page. One page yeah. saying, let's take a look at all of this stuff. You know, I'm, we we think maybe we're heading in the wrong direction and they can't stand a little bit of a challenge. They can't defend themselves intellectually without stacking the deck so that th- there's no other way to look at it than theirs.
1: I mean, the decks were stacked, but it was, unfortunately it was against them, right? They're, they're uh, the, the, the great Barrington declaration, the reason why it's, I mean, I was so confident it was right is because it's the old pandemic plan that worked for a century of respiratory virus pandemics. It's the least original thing I've ever written in my entire life.
0: <laughs> so you're basically saying, hey, we had a plan. It's the best way to go. Why are we doing it this new way?
1: Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like, so, okay, let's back get back to the vaccines and transmission blocking. The it's randomized correct. trials, The the clinical endpoint, there were three different clinical endpoints you might have imagined a trial being designed around. One would have been protection of life, right? So one is you you measure what fraction of the placebo group versus the treatment group die within months after the, va- the, the 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 um uh you know sort of being enrolled for the trial, and um and compare them, and if fewer people in the vaccination arm die, then the vaccine reduces deaths right? Um, that, that could have been a clinical outcome. They didn't have that as a, as the primary clinical outcome. And in fact, in the mRNA trials, there were more people that died in the vaccination arm than in the placebo arm. It wasn't a very large difference. It was, it was statistically insignificant, meaning that they hadn't recruited enough people to be able to say a statistically meaningful difference between, but they don't have prima facie evidence saying that they were going to protect life that's actually not true in the adenovirus vaccines. The adenovirus vaccine trials showed lower mortality among the people in, who were vaccinated than unvaccinated or that that, that received a placebo. So the mRNA, I mean, we have actually chosen the wrong technology based on that. But so that
0: should be another question that the commission looks into. Was this the best vaccine approach is what you're yeah, saying.
1: Yeah. So that's actually one of the questions in the Norfolk group. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd love to see what other scientists think about that. Um, Then, then the um, but the problem. The the second thing you could have looked at is you could have looked at prevention of transmission of the disease as a clinical outcome, right? If you're interested in the vaccine for herd immunity, that's something you would want to look at, and that would have been very easy to do. So, for instance, um, take everybody that's vaccinated uh, and everyone that had the placebo measure systematically whether their spouses or children get COVID. And then then compare if the the families of the vaccinated versus the families of the placebo, did they have lower or higher rates of COVID? They could have done that, but they did not do that. So we didn't know whether it stopped transmission. What they did do was was prevention of symptomatic infection. Symptomatic infection is, I, well, it's just it's just I got I got COVID, I got the cough, I got I can't smell or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, and that they found a ninety five percent reduction in the likelihood of symptomatic infection for two months after enrolling in the trial.
0: That's with the so, vaccine.
1: Yeah, that's what we knew in December of twenty twenty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Prevention of symptomatic infection. Is not the same thing as prevention of transmission or infection. You can get infected and not have any symptoms at all. I think, like uh, in my Santa Clara study, it was forty percent of the people had no recollection in the, in the previous three months of ever having been infected, despite having antibodies to the to, to COVID. And the they could stream. have
0: been infectious when they weren't feeling sick.
1: Correct. Uh, I mean, I think it's less likely to spread the disease if you if you have no symptoms, but it or very few symptoms, but uh, or no symptoms even. Um, but it doesn't mean you can't spread it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the prevention of symptomatic infection, from that you can't conclude that you block the stu- you block the uh, transmission. And it's only for two months, right? So I don't know if the protection wanes over time. On the we other hand,
0: don't, we still don't know that, or we do.
1: No, know we that. know for certain now. It wanes, yeah, very, very sharply afterwards. I mean, like, so maybe after three or four months, you see a very sharp drop in um, in the protection against even any any kind of inf- uh, symptomatic infection or otherwise. Um, uh, but the uh, protection against severe disease for this is from later data, not randomized data. From from um, I think actually lasts for for you know seven, eight, nine months. Actually, quite a long time. Might maybe longer even. Um, so so what we but so in December 2020 from the randomized trial evidence we did not know that the vaccine stops transmission. That's and yet the bottom line. We were one. told
0: that it did. I remember watching our our political leaders saying take the vaccine you won't get sick.
1: Right. And that's the premise for the vaccine mandates because if if it's true that you have a vaccine that stops transmission, like, for instance, with measles, um, well, then, then, you know, if 70, 80, 90% of the population is vaccinated, depending on what the herd immunity threshold is, the, vac- the, the, the disease will, will, will not circulate very widely because it's created, created this pool of people that are essentially dead ends to the disease, this vaccine doesn't produce dead ends to the disease people who are vaccinated can get and spread the disease i i personally i got vaccinated in april of 2021 with the second dose and then it, four months later i had go i had COVID. um so i mean I, and my experience is not no different. i've been told
0: you're anti-vax doctor
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't know where that comes from i mean i i i i i, I, I like you was Was arguing that older people get the vaccine in 2021, or especially early 2020. I wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal with Sunetra Gupta, uh, arguing that, uh, like, urging older people to be prioritized for the vaccine, so that we could have the vaccine to protect older people from severe disease and death, and then lifting lockdown because that's in a sense a perfect form of focused protection.
0: That is what 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 the government did, though, right?
1: No, not no. They they had a big argument over whether to prioritize healthcare workers, to prioritize minority populations, uh, in 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 um. I mean, and in, in many places they they delayed vaccinating older people relative to some other younger groups. In California is a good example of this. My mom did not get vaccinated. Eighty six year old, she was eighty three at the time, I guess. Um, did not get vaccinated until March of twenty twenty one. I mean, I was actually offered the vaccine because I work at a medical center in December of 2020. And I said, no, because I don't, I don't see patients. I do research for a living and I'm young. And so I didn't want the vaccine doses to go to people like me. I wanted to go to older people. Um, and I waited until, until, until every older person in the country had had an opportunity to get the vaccine before I set to, to, to agree to get the vaccine. Um, the the uh, older people in Florida were prioritized at the, at my, at the you know, the governor DeSantis said, you, it basically every old person should be offered the vaccine first. So by the end of January, 2021, every older person in Florida had been offered the vaccine. March of 2021, my mom still hadn't been vaccinated until late in LA. And she lives in LA in California. All right. This, um, this,
0: this illustrates why a commission is necessary because you have different states doing different approaches. Some were better than others let's analyze. I, I think we should say that, you know, I'm sure the people of California, the leaders of California were in good faith trying to uh, prevent disease spread. And I think an argu- argument can be made, gee, if uh, if our healthcare workers are, are going through a terrible uh, loss of uh, ability to come to work because they're getting sick, we should get, prioritize them. DeSantis, you said, Governor DeSantis said, well, let's really go protect the old people because they're most at risk. Those are both, it seems to me, legitimate arguments. Why can't we get together and say, well, let's see which way this worked out. Yeah. And, and that way we can learn so that the next time something comes along, rather than being divided politically and culturally and fighting each other over those kinds of things, that we can say, listen, you know, there's not a Democrat or a Republican that a virus cares. The virus is after the 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 person or the bacteria, whatever it might be. Um, but it just is stunning to me that there hasn't been more of a... Um, Agreement with the Norfolk group, yeah, we really do need to get to the bottom of this in a in a way that will help us in the future. Because there is going, we're told all the time, Dr. Fauci says there's another one coming. So why don't we learn the lessons now? I mean,
1: that's still those are wise words. Um I, I really think we need one, Wesley. I don't see how if we're a serious society that cares about human well-being that we don't have such a thing and it, it's gonna hurt. the problem i think is that it's going to hurt uh the reputations of some people it, if you answer the questions that are in the role for crop document the, of the sort that we're talking we're just scientific policy and policy questions right these are not like uh political per se and d- some democrats got things right and some republicans got things wrong it, some republicans got things right some democrats got things wrong i mean it was it was a very difficult uncertain time with a lot of a lot of cross-talk, if you will. Um, an honest answer to these questions is absolutely needed so we do better next time. But but the, if you do answer these questions honestly, Wesley, there will be the reputations of some people. I, I don't think, for instance, Tony Fauci will come out looking very good. I think that some political leaders will, will come out looking very poorly. That's well, just a fact.
0: And, and your reputation's on the line as well. Because yeah, my
1: reputation's on the line.
0: I mean, so, you know, you have, I think, laudably decided to pursue what you think is correct and and your reputation is on the line as i said in a kidding way at the top of this interview you have been the subject of of hit pieces people uh mischaracterizing because i've we've i've interviewed you before i've read your work i know what you think and there's been an awful lot of mischaracterization of, of your positions um, but let's get one more question about uh, in the Norfolk group, and then I, we, we're going to have to conclude because we're running out of time. Um, you talk about uh, in the Norfolk group why there was such a slow rollout of critical COVID 19 testing. Why was that important? And what happened so that the, we were, I know, behind other countries with regard to testing? What happened?
1: So uh, I think there's a there's a historical thing that happened, which is that the CDC decided that it was going to take control of the the, the, the test, like the, the creation of the specifications for the tests, um, rather than letting le- uh, independent labs around the country to, to sort of develop their own. Because I think that their idea was that they wanted to standardize the test so that a COVID diagnosis in one place meant the same thing as a COVID diagnosis, a positive test in another place. Um, but they were very, very slow in the rollout of that, and many public health agencies viewed that as they, they, was, they were too controlling. I think that's a pretty widely accepted uh, criticism of this early the CDC's early response to the pandemic.
0: Wasn't there actually a test that had proved to work well out of Europe and the CDC wouldn't let them be imported? Or yeah. Is my memory failing there?
1: Yeah, and the other there's and there, there's there are other elements of this so that's absolutely no that that is absolutely the case like right? there was a, there was an early uh PCR test out, it's that was um, brought out by some Europeans um, uh, U- European uh, uh, groups and that that uh, that the CDC basically wanted to do their own I, I think it was also a Chinese test anyways so i I think this is one of these things where like um I think most people agree that the CDC messed that up. Um, but I, I want to go a little bit deeper into, into, into a problem with the testing, right? So the question is, what do you use the testing for, right? So, and there's two, just to, just to, the technical aspect of it is really, is a, is a little bit important. So I want to like make sure that people know it just enough to, so they can have this conversation. Um, there's a test called the PCR test, the polymerase chain reaction test that amplifies uh, genetic material that's specific to the virus. And if it am- if if the, there's no virus there and you amplify it, you'll find no vi- no no amplification because zero times you know uh, ten million is still zero.
0: Is that the if, test where the line comes in or doesn't come in if you have it or don't have it?
1: No, that's an antigen test. Okay. The PCR tests, uh, essentially, you're you're amplifying the genetic material that has to be done in a lab. Okay. So you you stick this thing up your nose and you send it in a in a test tube to to a lab, right? right. And, and early in the pandemic, it took three days to get a result. Right. The the antigen test is the thing that you stick the thing up your nose, you put it in a, in a, in a, in a vial and you put it and then you can see the, the it looks like a pregnancy test, right? Like yep. the line shows up or doesn't show up.
0: Yep.
1: Um, that technology was available pretty early, but was not encouraged. Why? That's the question. Um, so the 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 uh, my answer, and again, I'd love to ha- be in conversation with other scientists who are making these decisions. Uh, that's the purpose of the Norfolk Group. Is my answer to that question is that there was this ideology of t- of testing and tracing, identifying everybody who had COVID, identifying all of their contacts, interviewing them, and then isolating them, quarantining them for for time, so that the disease wouldn't spread. In order to do that, every single positive test, the public health authorities needed to know about so they could contact, test, trace, and isolate, right? Um, that, that, that ideology meant that you had to have a publicly reported test, something like the PCR that has to be publicly reported because it's done by a lab, the lab you can control. If you have widespread use of these at-home tests, well, then people might be positive and never reported to public health. That means public health wouldn't know to go talk to them and isolate them and quarantine their, their contacts. So the, the, the desire to stop the spread of the disease may have led public health to delay the dissemination of at-home tests that could then might have been instead used for focus protection, right? So I don't really want public health to know if I'm positive, I might think to myself, but I do want to know if I'm positive. So I don't go visit my, my grandma tonight. Right. Right? That, so, that's
0: eventually what happened. I mean, eventually the government was sending out free antigen tests through the post office, and and that, and, and that became the policy later on when the uh, because there were just too many people to do the PCR testing, right?
1: Yeah, well, I think I think t- test the, this contact tracing kind of paradigm fell apart very early on in the pandemic. I I saw that. It, in fact, I wrote an article in in I think it was published in September, but I wrote the article in July twenty twenty. With with the title on the futility of contact tracing, Stanford actually questioned me about that. some folks like the the this this uh, Human subject Review Board at Stanford like essentially went after me, trying to ask me why I was endangering public health by asking such a question.
0: Um, Since when is asking a question endangering anything?
1: uh, Well, I (laughs) I mean, I don't think I was endangering public health. I was pointing out a failure of public health. Uh, There was a major evaluation of the you. UK's test and t- trace program and they concluded it was a, a 37 trillion uh, a 37 billion pound failure. Right? So um it was it, and this was like in late 2020 early 2021 they concluded this. The United States lasted very long with this t- test and trace ideology. I was so happy when I finally saw the Biden administration do, uh sending out these at-home tests. Uh, I imagine if we'd had these at-home tests in uh in May of 2020. When the technology was actually, I think, really, you know, hadn't been approved, I don't think, but it was pretty pretty close to ready, um, or let's say June, June or 2020, right? Uh, we could have protected so many older people. We isolated older people in nursing homes where they didn't get to see their families. Yes, and what that we, led
0: to terrible despair and, and deaths.
1: Yes. Um, so what if we allowed in-home tests or at-home tests so that people could check themselves and then go visit with their family members, older family members in nursing homes?
0: I remember people saying, though, no, but wait a minute. Uh, these tests aren't 100% effective. Sometimes that you get false negatives. Well, it's better than nothing.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's better than nothing. And the PCR test, you take it. Three days later, you get a result. In three it's days, negative. you've
0: been spreading it.
1: Well, and uh, let's say it's negative. Yeah. Right. Well, now I can go in, but in those three days, maybe I got it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's the whole thing was just it was designed wrong, right? It was designed to to with the premise that you could stop uh, this disease from spreading entirely, if we just took this like control over it, like we just grepped our hands around it, locked everything down, I ident- identified everyone that had it. It was like this mechanical, it's like it's almost like this Star Trek view where if I just do this like uh, tricorder on you, I'll find everything wrong with you. Well, medicine doesn't have a tricorder. And and so instead of this like more humble view of like, let's try to protect the people we can protect as best we can with the, with the, with the, with the, with the, the hump, with the tools, the limited tools we have, and then work to make those tools better. That would have been a much better philosophy.
0: And, And another one of the questions, and we don't have time to really explore it, but you wanted to get into the efficacy of masking because I remember being told masking will prevent the spread. And then I was told, well, paper masks, the kind that you usually got, they don't do anything. So I think that's also an important question that also dealt with the mask mandates and that's this kind of thing. Um, it, it really is a mess. And I, and I think your call, the Norfolk Group call, is a public service. But I've been very uh, stunned at the lack of reaction on the part of our our uh, cultural and political leaders to try to f- figure all of this out. What have you noticed?
1: I mean, I think it's informed some of the congressional investigations um, of the C- Select Coronavirus Task Force, like some of the questions that they're asking now are in the Norfolk g- document. Um, uh, but it, what it hasn't led to was is a bipartisan commission uh, uh, organized around this led by scientists who weren't responsible for the 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 the, the covid response um honest invest- uh, scientists with an open mind to answer these questions
0: right so but, it shouldn't be dr fauci and it shouldn't be dr Bhattacharya leading this thing
1: correct yeah. um, uh, uh, what it should be is independent scientists um, who, who have an open mind about whether things went right or wrong. Um, and then they, they bring people in. they have subpoena power, they have uh, they have power to like look into the decision making of government agencies um, to see what was the basis of the decisions that were made. what was the sci- what to, they have the, the power to commission scientific studies so that they can answer uh, historically what was going on. I think that's what needs to happen.
0: That would probably take a a law to be passed by Congress to get the subpoena power anyway. Uh, And um, I think I wrote this uh, a few days ago that every presidential candidate uh, running for office, whether Republican, Democrat, marginal, mainstream, Trump, DeSantis, Biden, uh, there's this uh, no-labels group that is thinking about perhaps having centrists run, Every single one of them should be asked whether they would support such a commission to investigate dispassionately, not looking to cast aspersions, but let the chips fall where they may. Um, and I think we need to have other forms of public pressure on that because if we don't, we're going to end up making the same mistakes we made last time.
1: Yeah, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right, Wesley. I, th- I think it'd be. Um, you know, I, one thing I'm heartened by. Now, we now have, in, the, in um, the elections coming up in 2024, in both parties, very prominent anti-lockdown candidates. In the Democratic Party, you have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. In the, in the, in the um, Republican Party, you have uh, Ron DeSantis. We're going to have this conversation in the coming year. It'll, it'll take place in, pol- in in the political circles. I want it to take place in scientific policy circles also, and I want it to be done dispassionately if it possibly can be. I think yeah, that because that's not it.
0: going to happen in political circles. Uh, political <laughs> political debate isn't about dispassion and it isn't about objective truth. It's about winning. and And you're not looking to win. You're looking to find out to the best of our ability what happened, what went right, what went wrong, and how we can do a better job next time. Is that right?
1: That's exactly what I want. I want. I want. I mean, because we owe it to the in public health, we owe it to the public to do the best we can. When we fail, we have to. We have to, be, have to take an honest look at, at nature of those failures and then reform. That's just it's public service. I don't see how we can avoid that. What we did was so devastatingly it was obviously a failure. Wesley, t- t- you know millions of people are dead. They've lost their lo- they've lost their livelihoods. Uh, their children have are, are facing tremendous uh, uh, you know sort of the uh, loss of educational outcomes. Um, th- we're 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 in a situation where public health, the public really rightly distrust public health.
0: Yeah, it's really children. destroyed trust. I think in uh, one of the most important institutions of society.
1: So how do you fix that? You have to fix that with an honest, unflinching look. Um, that, I, I just think it's absolutely essential. I think if any honest public health official that desires for the good of the public public's health will want to answer or set up a, a process to answer the questions we have in this Norfolk Group
0: document. Well, I think honestly uh, that you're doing a public service with this call. I know you're, you're getting a lot of brickbats thrown your way, so your your skin has to be thickening, and getting some calluses. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing how this proceeds, and uh, I would love to have you on again to talk about this some more.
1: Thank you, Wesley. Thank you for having me on uh, throughout the pandemic. Appreciate you.
0: Thank you, Jay. Thanks for listening to Humanize from Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, where human rights meet human responsibilities. Discover all the good work of the Center on Human Exceptionalism by visiting discovery.org human. We can only do this work speaking on behalf of human life, human thriving, and our exceptional place in this world and our cosmos with your support. We invite you to make a one-time gift today and to consider starting a monthly gift to support the Center on Human Exceptionalism and this show. Wherever you're listening to Humanize, please take a moment to rate and review the show. You matter. Your actions matter. Be bold, be exceptional, and be back soon.